airplane. You're trying to like force my wisdom out of me. That's not going to work well. She's trying to force us to become Chicago improvers. Yeah. (laughs) This is her dream. Alana's dream is not to do improv, but to be a podcaster like a Chicago improv. It's so funny because when she's like, I wrote the script and I was like, script? (laughs) Script? Do we have a script? I act now? I barely (laughs) read. Like after that, doing the trailer, this is going to be bananas for what I'm when I'm reading my. Uh, Archaeologists also, don't read. Archaeologists don't read. Can't read. I also realized and Lexi picks point, just like the best sounding whatever. The best sounding banter, the- and then I put in the intro music. This modern world of science and invention is of particular interest to women. Hello and welcome to Lady History, the good, the bad, and the ugly ladies you missed in history class. I'm here with Lexi. Lexi, what are you reading? The instructions on how to turn off this Zoom call because I need to get out of here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm also in the same virtual space as Haley. Haley, what are you eating? I had some chips and yogurt earlier. Together? Chips and yogurt? Yeah. That's like a real Persian thing. We can get into that. Oh, the okay. stunned faces. I shouldn't have, I should have lied. <laughs> <laughs> I should have lied. Okay, I, I'm eating burgers and fries. I'm eating mac and cheese. Insert whatever. <laughs> and I'm Alana, and I use 150% of the garlic a recipe calls for. What sound does an airplane make? I don't Here. even remember. You guys, it's been so long since I've been on an airplane. I don't even remember what noise airplanes make. I was detained at the airport in Israel. Jesus, Lexi, what did you do? So I was with a group. I was coming back from a dig and with people from a different school. But the most of the people on the dig were from my school. But only I was leaving with the people from the other school. And so when I got to the airport, the nice Israeli woman asked if I was with those people. And I said, no, I'm not with them because I went to a different school. But then when they got through, they said they were with me and they caught us in our lie. And so they detained us for three hours. That's why you got detained? Yes. I got detained for looking like me, (laughs) having my name. We all have our uh, different qualities. Truly, I I have never been detained at an airport. Airports are nerve wracking. They're very anxiety inducing. So much things anyway. And the food's always bad. I'll jump right in. So obviously, someone had to cover Amelia Earhart. And I'm like a dumbass. Like, I'm just gonna put it out there. I, I'm, I still need some working on in the brain area. And when I was little, like my brain works in strange ways. And you'll learn about this as we go on with this podcast. And even I think you two don't even understand how my brain works exactly. But I'll remember things just in the pockets of my brain folds from like when I was a small child. When I was like learning about Amelia Earhart in like the elementary school days for like Women's History Month, I spelled her name as Air, A-I-R, and Heart, H-E-A-R-T. And that's absolutely not how you spell her name. Oh my God. It's E-A-R-H-R-T. A-R-T. A-R-T. And I typed in- Still can't spell it. Still can't spell it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> while looking at the words on my screen. 
And I typed in like my child version way into my Word doc and it wasn't coming out. And I was just looking at it like, why isn't this working for me? Googled it, got like air heart sign, like all this astrology stuff, like not Amelia. Cause I just typed in air heart cause I was on a roll with myself. Um, regardless, her name, her nickname is Lady Lindy. So I'm gonna call her Lady Lindy for this cause I, we're lady. We're lady history. I cannot. Um, so I'm going to preface this that I, because with work and finishing up a summer course, I had like about a day and a half to write these notes. And all my sources are decent. Like they're not, I didn't have time to like read a whole book of hers. Like she has many biographies and such and like different um, documentaries. But I use like children's museums, NASA, the New Yorker, History Channel, National Geographic. So nothing, nothing like out of the ordinary of good research. But there's so many conflicting dates and information that I almost thought I was being punked somehow. So there might be loopholes where you're like, Haley, you have to be a decent researcher and fill this in. And I'm just leaving it out because I don't want to say anything completely wrong. So I'm using like the facts that came up on like at least three of the sites. Nothing from Wikipedia is going to be on here. I'll leave that one be. I'll mention Wikipedia at one point, but like what wasn't a hardcore source. With our Lady Lindy born in Kansas on July 24th, 1894, planes were not yet event invented for her flying needs yet. And I'm going to make a preface because I was looking at, I love looking at like the blogs people write because for Amelia Earhart, they're just so many enthusiasts, so many people still blogging about her. Conspiracy and one, theorists. Oh yeah. And we're, <laughs> don't worry, I got you covered. We're going to go into three different like theories about her death and everything. It's truly everywhere. I don't know. I can't remember what it's from, but it, I kind of have to take a step back and just think if this person knew what type of plane she was flying and not like a mega delta or like Alaska plane like this was like an old plane that could only go like a few hundred feet off the ground so I just want to like bring that up here from the beginning like these aren't going to be the planes that we were just talking about that we hop on to go visit each other because like there are some bloggers where I'm like you know you know some of the conspiracy stuff but the actual facts this is, this is not good. This is no way, no. She first saw a plane at a state fair when she was about 10 years old, but didn't start flying for like another 10-ish years, around like 1920, 19- I don't think they let 10-year-olds fly. Yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not. But she was very fascinated. From like that point, that was like, she was the plane girl. You know how we have horse girls? She was plane girl. <laughs> When she was able to start flying in like 1920, 1921, she was the sixth, 16th woman to receive a pilot's license. So like, wow, well done. Um, so she's not known for being like the first pilot, which I saw often. People were like, this is the first female pilot. No, like, cause once you have your pilot license, you're a pilot in like my book. And I guess like you could be just a female and just be like, this is my plane now. I'm going to press the button and go zoom. <laughs> Do you need like, a license to be a pilot? Like if I'm in exactly, a plane and I'm yeah. flying it, aren't I a pilot? Exactly. Oh my God. <laughs> so 
she's training a lot and she's really into it and her popularity keeps growing because she just keeps trying to get into different organizations, especially for female flyers. And on June 17th in 1928, she departed from Newfoundland. And let me just do a preface to the universe. If I do not pronounce something right, kindly call me out on it, uh, which is a large island off of like off the North Americas near Canada, so up north from us, with pilots Bill and Slim. Those are their nicknames, but it's Wilmer Schultz and Louis Gordon. Uh, so she was with Bill and Slim. There she became the first woman to fly across the Atlantic. And she later, like right after, soon after, uh, became the first woman and second person to fly across the Atlantic alone. So alone. here's some, alone. So I'm gonna, I couldn't find a definitive research, but for her, the flight that she's known for, like going around the globe, which I will absolutely talk about, I don't know what alone means for these planes because when she went across around the world, she was with another guy. Like she was a pilot, but then there'd be a navigator. So theoretically, they're without a co-pilot. So you don't. Yeah. Take a break. I think when so based on my lady, who we'll get into, I think anything that says solo, it doesn't mean no one else was in the plane. It might like mean that, but it means no one else piloted while you were piloting. Like you didn't yeah. go take a nap. And have someone oh, else. Yeah. So like when we say alone, at least for Lexi and my human, there is usually a navigator. So it's not her just chilling out in a plane. Because they didn't have the fancy machines. Exactly. Do that. Yeah. And her navigators are predominantly male, or at least in the two that I've been talked to. Juicy. So it's not, yeah. So it's not like a full on lady ship flying through there. <laughs> lady ship flying through the air. <laughs> After this flight, especially where she flies across on her own. She's just mega popular. This is where her name really becomes a household name. She probably gets the nickname Lady Lindy. She calls herself A.E. as her own nickname. And I'm going to just go on my own little tangent of some of the cool things and like just tidbits about her that I found out from honestly the Children's Mu uh, Museum of Indianapolis, which I was like, all right, here we go. The first thing is when I found out that there was the navigator, I didn't realize what the navigator was. I thought like what Lexi said, like it's the co-pilot, but no. So she had to stay awake for all these trips. And I was like, wait, how would you do that? Cause like, I can't do that. I really thought the navigator was like co-pilot and you just give kind of like the, for academic papers, you have the co-authors, but there's like the first author and the second author. And you usually remember the first guy's name, but no, she's flying the whole time. She didn't like coffee or tea, like any like ca those caffeinated drinks. So she would use smelling salts to stay awake. Yeah. She would, she, they still have like one of the like little tiny glass bottles of smelling salts in um, their collection. And I'm like, okay, like that's, that's gonna be fine. Chill. That's sketchy, that like creeps me out. I feel like that's a little sketchy. But like, and probably not healthy, but I'm not a medical professional, so I'm not going to give you advice. Cocaine. <laughs> That's the thing. I tried seeing like, they in the collection and just like with what I was saying, smelling salts, it didn't say what the smelling salts were. And I want to know. Vapors. I might, yeah. I well, you know, like when a lady vapors. faints, when a lady, a lady faints, you give her the smelling salts. 
feel like 1930s smelling salts has to be mixed with something weird because that we were still in the place with like, cocaine yeah coke, with cocaine. Still had cocaine yeah and then I'm, you, we're not a hundred percent sure that it's cocaine. That was like, just yeah. That's just speculation. No, just and us memes. being funny. I don't want to get clarification. <laughs> we don't know that it's cocaine. <laughs> I love how now we have to preface out we're just crazy people. Um, so the other thing that I found that this was kind of like a oh I should have known this or like this makes sense is that you know how she has like the iconic goggles and leather cap she hated those things at least the goggles she hated wearing them that's why most of the pictures she's not wearing them and it's like our drawings depictions us reproducing something of Amelia Earhart has the goggles like she would put them on right before the runway and then take them off immediately immediately at landing because like you had to wear them with the dinky planes that they had but she still was like I'm not about it but however, what she did like was just fashion in general. She did even have, like, she went on to create, like, her own clothing line that was actually advertised in Vogue. And I'm trying to find, like, a copy of it. I'll, like, keep y'all updated. But, yes, yeah, she was part of the International Organization of Women's Pilots. I think she even, like, helped create it. But it's called the 99, and it's a nonprofit um, that provided networking, mentoring, and flight scholarships or opportunities for other women and out of this they kind of had like their own like clothing line for pilots because obviously it was a male profession for the most part she was like the 16th person to get a flight flying license um so they kind of like created their own uniform and had their own uniform to sell Vogue picked it up and I thought that was also really cool because she's predominantly known for flying solo across the Atlantic and attempting um, going around the globe, which she dies in. Like she, all the things, like if you just do like, or at least what I did for my Google search of just typing in her name, all the first things will say like her death, something about her death, which I'm actually going to go into right now. Um, so her flight was in a Lockheed Electra 10E and her na navigator was Fred Noonan. No idea had no idea this was a thing. She had a navigator, so she wasn't alone in this. And this was their second time attempting, or at least Amelia's second time attempting. The first time she tried taking off from California, but crashed into Honolulu. This was gonna be like even longer. I think what, there was like one guy who did this before. Oh, I have his name even. Wiley Post had flown around the world in seven days. And he was like the first aviator to accomplish this so she was going to be like the second person but the first woman to do this and hers was going to be even longer because she was predominantly going to take the equator and just like go around the equator middle of the belly of the earth but she didn't make it they lost contact around like july 2nd i think she had like seven thousand miles left like she was like almost there. Like they had, like she was on this journey for a while. And then there's a day of just them not having contact. And this is where we also get this whole story on like what the li line of events, whatever that saying is, uh, the happenings of her life get a little hairy. Like this is where like Nat Geo had one thing to say. Time Magazine had another. Um, a quick YouTube from like a documentary had like the third thing to say. But basically, 
around July 2nd, she lost contact. We really don't know what happened after that. It's not like the last contact is, we're headed for the Pacific Ocean. She was declared dead after two years of her disappearance. So people like have said she's died and it's in like, uh, so it'd be thir 1939. And I believe it was like January 1st or January 2nd, just how the law works. And her husband, George Putnam, who's an author, publisher, and explorer, or was, he died. And she wrote to him, please know I am quite aware of the hazards. I want to do it because I want to do it. Women must try to do things as men have tried. When they fail, their failure must be a challenge to others, which is true. So many people wanted to be Amelia and like she's still an icon in lady history. Like we're doing it right now. Haley here with somewhat of an update or an addition to Amelia's story from this News 10 ABC article that's linked in the show notes, where a man in San Diego found four letters that were handwritten to Captain Fred Newman, Amelia's navigator, giving details about their journey and around like the globe. This was their big one. There was dates between 1935 and 1937, one specifically postmarked to June 23rd, 1937 from the Grand Hotel in Indonesia. And there are a bunch of different articles about finding these letters, and I'm just using the one to hammer out the main points, which means that we now know the last correspondence of Amelia and Newman before disappearing. And one of these letters actually was 17 pages long detailing specific dates, locations, and other weather challenges. So where are these letters? The family of the letters have not decided where they should go, but the article alluded to the possibility of these letters being on display in a museum or at some point in the eye of the public that we can learn from them and kind of get some more closure on Amelia Earhart's story and her trip around the globe. I'll go next because I'm talking about the night witches. Um, night witches. Just kidding. We don't. That's IP. Um, don't sue us. The night witches were an all-female air regiment in World War II in, the, in Russia and the Soviet Union, um, which I learned in my research that Russians call it the Great Patriotic War. Um, so that's okay. something. All right. That's something fun. It's good juicy. That's juicy. <laughs> So this all-female air regiment was started by a woman named Marina Roskova, or the Soviet Amelia Earhart. That's like her fun little nickname. I did learn about this story from Drunk History. So obviously we're going to be talking about um, the Soviet Union during World War II. Um, I just want to say, Stalin is a bad dude. The only good thing that Stalin ever did was fight Nazis. And that's like that one onion, or it's like the onion or some other like comedy news article and the headline just says oh no the worst person you know just made a good point mm, yes that's yes. how i feel about stalin um there's a guardian article that i'll get to a little bit later um and it interviews some of these night witches um and they call nazis fascists and i'm like oh honey i got some bad news for you i got some bad news for you 
Wait, hold up. So you're saying like, if I'm we saying have, that like, Stalin is a fascist. No, 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 I know. But like, he didn't like, he said no, no to the Nazis. So like the people who are like, ah, oh, Nazis are chill. You're worse than Stalin. Is that really where you want to like, the hill you want to die on is being worse than Stalin? Oh, that's what she said? I don't think that's what she said. I don't think that's what I said. I she just said the night witches don't like fascists, but the guy they loved was a fascist. Was also a fascist. I thought you were going, I, my brain just went straight to from Stalin not liking Nazis to these girls potentially not liking Nazis. <laughs> and I needed to be like, hold up. Are you saying they're like worse think, than- I don't think, I don't think Stalin liked Nazis and I don't think these women like Nazis. People shouldn't yeah. like Nazis. <laughs> not many We're going to go do. on the record and we're going to say people shouldn't like Nazis. So I did learn about this story from Drunk History Season 6, Episode 14. Um, I'm going to reference that a couple times. The storyteller is Jess McKenna, and it's very funny. But that's it, because they're not sponsoring us. So the Night Witches were started by Marina Arskova. Um, she was a navigator in the Red Army. Um, so like we were saying, there's someone in the plane who like tells you where to go and what to do, but who isn't flying realties and that was what marina did and we are on a first name basis because we're tight we're best friends and she definitely 100 percent has not been dead since 1943 that's just we're just tight we're just close me and her ghost no i'm kidding so women were barred from combat combat in the red army and for a lot of modern history go over what the red army is oh the red army is what the army was called in the USSR. That's like what they called their army was the Red Army because communism. Um, and so the women were, were really only allowed slowly into the army because Russia was taking devastating, crushing, horrible losses. And Marina was getting letters from civilian women who wanted to help. And they were like, Marina, you're so cool. You're amazing because you're fighting and we wish that we could fight because they are losing their husbands, their fathers, their brothers, their sons. So she goes to Stalin um, and says, hey, Joseph, can I, I'm like here, can I please start some all-female air regiments, maybe? And uh, Stalin says, yes. One of the articles I read implied that he maybe only said yes because he was attracted to her and yeah that article was written by a man but she gets this dispensation and she uh she gets all of these women to come in and be pilots but now that they're in the army uh they're facing some sexism as is kind of to be expected um tragically tragically to be expected they're facing sexual harassment which i mean it's still a problem in the, the year 2020. Like nothing, nothing changes. It should, but it doesn't. But more uh, systemically, they have the worst. They just have bad equipment. They're getting hand-me-down uniforms from male soldiers that are way too big. So they're like stuffing boots with socks and like everything is super baggy. But let's talk about their planes because that's what we're here for. We're here for the planes. We're here for the pilots. They're flying training planes, Polykarpov PO2 biplanes. They're 20 years old. They're crop dusters. They have no cockpit protection. 
and they can't go high enough, which you wouldn't want them to because they don't have any cockpit protection. They have to fly at night because they can't go high enough to be out of view. Um, and also, I newsflash, this is something fun that people might not know. This is just a fun fact. Fun fact, Russia is cold. Mm, I had no idea. Yeah, so these women are getting frostbite. Oh, no. And if you touch the plane, it's, like, so cold that it'll burn your hand. You so know like what I mean? opposite of Amelia's problem. Yeah, opposite of Amelia's problem. <laughs> Pretty much exactly. So they're, they're just, like, the worst planes ever, and they don't go that high. And, like, normal equipment, radar, radio fucking parachutes are too heavy for these horrible planes so they don't have parachutes until 1943 and they can only carry two bombs each plane can only carry two bombs at a time and they have one under each wing and so they're going back and forth from their little safety where they're storing the bombs and they're going back to safety and then across enemy lines um and they're dropping the bombs and they're coming back and they're getting more bombs and they're going back and just like back and forth, back and forth, 18 times a night. But these women are so dope and so good at everything that this is how they get the name Night Witches. It comes from the German Nachthexen, which means Night Witches. And the planes are too small and too quiet to show up on radar or sonar, but the sound of them coming sounds like a sweeping. Oh, that's cool. So, so it's like, oh, their planes are brooms, women are riding them, they're witches. Right. But these slow planes end up being kind of a blessing or like a lining sort of because the fast planes can't go slow enough to shoot them down because aerodynamics, period. Like that's why big planes need big long runways because they got to build up enough speed so they don't fall out of the sky. But these slow, slow planes can't go fast. Obviously, duh. Newsflash, fun fact, slow planes can't go fast. Fast planes can't go slow. And so it's super difficult for them to, like, for the Nazi planes to attack the Night Witch's planes because they can't, like, keep pace with them, even though they're slower. This 588th Air Regiment, which is the Night Witches, they're so badass and they're so prolific and they're killing so many Nazis that anyone who shoots down a night witch gets the Iron Cross, which is the highest honor in the Nazi army. All you got to do is shoot one down and you get the Iron Cross. So that's that's, like zero to 60 right there. It's zero to 60. So we're going to talk about real fast, just like the women themselves, besides how dope and cool they are. They have 12 commandments. And the first one is be proud that you are a woman. I cannot find the other 11. I have no idea what the other 11 are. Do the other ones matter? Is the first one's that good? I guess not. <laughs> this, this is a gender divide in my sources as well as the ones that men wrote were like, look, they're doing all this, all these like womanly things. Like they would embroider and wear eyeliner and that kind of fun stuff. But women like Marina, who would look at them and who wrote that and would say, be proud that you're a woman because you're doing this crazy stuff you're killing all these nazis and you're also doing it as a woman so you're double the badass one of the i'm going to talk about uh um risa sernachevskaya who flew while she was four months pregnant she was up wow. in a plane shooting down nazis four months pregnant all so righty then 
And there was this camaraderie between these women, especially Raisa Sernachevskaya, as I said, and uh, Tamara Pamyatnik. And in this Guardian article from 2001, which is very, it's so from 2001, Tamara is reminiscing about it and how she took out two bombers before being shot down. And she's worried that she hadn't done enough that night. And is so worried, like she is remembering looking down from the ground, thinking that she'd left Raisa, her wingman, her, her words, her wingman all alone in the sky to fight Nazis. And that was very moving to me. I would be worried if I left either of you up in the sky to fight Nazis, <laughs> I'd feel bad too. <laughs> I would. The author of that made a point to say, like he's praising these women and that he's like, today's, because they were young, like young women going to fight. And he's like, today's 21 year old wear nightclub clothes to work and I was like did you really have to do that okay bruh okay hey, bruh and I was like did did a woman write this no a woman did not write it and I was like Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. and there definitely aren't women in the military in any country in the in world in any country in the there world definitely aren't any women. all men yeah they're all <laughs> men now since there's no big war <laughs> no big war. since big war over women go home back house <laughs> Um, Where nightclub clothes work. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Where nightclub clothes work. So just some statistics. There are 400 women in the 588th Night Bomber Regiment. They flew 30,000 missions and dropped 23,000 tons of bombs. And they were the most decorated unit in the Red Army. And here's where, do you guys want to, like, real fast guess how the story ends? They were decommissioned when the war ended. They were disbanded six months after World War II ended. There we go. And they were not allowed in the victory parades because their planes were too slow. That tracks. Yep. That makes sense. Yep. (laughs) So that's fun. Big war over. Go back house. (laughs) War over. Go back house. And they didn't. And then the USSR, like, collapsed. And one of the women who is living in, like, Latvia, I think, is not allowed to wear her her like military medals because oh, how- she's a veteran of the ussr but then they left the ussr but then because she's not a citizen of latvia and right. she's not a citizen of like she's a citizen of the ussr and it was, right it was really tragic to read about <laughs> and this guy was like 21 year olds today wear nightclub clothes to work i'm like well some of them work at nightclubs so shut up um and that made me real real mad to read that article but it's important to but talk you about. learned about you learned about the cool women, even if it was. I did learn about the cool women, and I learned that. about how much they liked each other. Uh, it made me feel really good that they were like, yeah, sisterhood. Women the sisterhood, women. the sisterhood of the flying pants, the flying pants, the flying pants, <laughs> the sisterhood of the shitty airplanes. <laughs> yes, the sisterhood of the shitty airplanes. <laughs> the little airplane that could. Little airplane that good. Exactly. That would make a great anime. So the reason that I knew that the story of your your group of women ended with them being decommissioned is because I have the American equivalent story to your story. <gasps> we just went full circle. So full let me tell you. We did it. We did segues, you guys. We did it. <laughs> so 
Did you guys know that before there was ever a man on the moon, there was a woman who wanted to go to space? That makes that sense. Tracks. I did not know that, but that makes sense. I'm going to tell you her story. Jacqueline Cochran was born with the name Bessie Lee Pittman in 1906 in Pensacola, Florida, which is one of my favorite city names to say, so I'm very <laughs> happy that's where she was born. I find Pensacola to be a very funny word. And she was the youngest of five children. Her father worked as a millwright, so they traveled around Florida. And he built mills to mill things. And later in life, Jackie would claim that she was adopted and raised in poverty, but in reality, this was her biological family, and while they weren't rich, they lived a pretty average life, and there was always food on the table, and they always had, like, what they needed to survive. A very average life for people in the early 1900s. And in 1920, when she was just um, 14, she married Robert Cochran, who is how she got the Cochran name. And the couple had one child who was named Jack, and he died really young. So when Jackie decided to leave Robert, she adopted the name Jacqueline Cochran. So she kept her married name and she used the name Jacqueline to honor her son who had passed away really young. And she left Robert because she was like not about being a young wife. And she moved to New York City where she was able to land a job working at Saks Fifth Avenue, which at the time was like the thing to do. Department stores were brand new. Oh, yeah. Like it was awesome to be there. And she became a hairdresser and a stylist. And she was doing cosmetic work at Saxon Avenue, which at the time was like the glamorous job. And this is giving me some marvelous Mrs. Maisel vibes. Yeah, I was exactly. Just say that. Like if you were a young hot woman, this was the job for you. Um, so while she was working in New York, Jackie met the man who would become her second husband, Floyd Bostwick Odlum. And Floyd was a CEO. He was at the time one of the richest men in the world. Like some sources say he was in the top 10 richest men. And he offered to help her start a beauty business under her own name. And she was like, that's a great idea. I love beauty stuff. But at the time he was still married to another woman. So they had to put a, a hold on that project until he could get a divorce. Also while working in New York, Jackie became enamored with aviation. She saw a plane and her friend was like, do you want to go in the plane? I'll put you in the plane. And so she started taking flying lessons at the 1930s at Roosevelt Airfield, which is located on Long Island. So it was super close to where she was working in New York. She started to fly and she earned her commercial pilot's license with just two years of flight experience. And you do have to log a lot of hours to get your commercial pilot's license. So she must've flown a lot in those two years. And in 1936, Floyd finally left his poo-poo first wife <laughs> and married Jackie. And they founded a cosmetics line. And because of her newfound obsession with flight, they called the cosmetics line Wings to Beauty. I and love that. Hoping to capitalize on Jackie's unique position as a female aviator, um, Jackie went on a promotional tour. And she flew across the country to promote her new beauty products. And since it was a, like airplane themed thing they thought you know that'll be that'll be cool and her husband eyeliner yeah (laughs) and because her full circle i know i know know. um and as her husband was so influential and stuff he was even able to get celebrities like marilyn monroe to like wear her lipstick to like promote it so you would think this is just some cute girl who has a plane cute rich girl with planes and cosmetics but the truth is jackie was a badass of course. Well, she I already thought she was a badass. She truly contains multitudes. She does. So while she was like an icon of the beauty industry, what truly makes her story so interesting is this dichotomy that not only was she like a beauty icon and an aviator, but she was like one of the best pilots of all time. 
1937, Jackie set the world's women's speed record in flight. So she flew the fastest a woman had ever flown in a plane in 1937. That same year, Jackie was the only woman to compete in the Bendix race, Bendix race, I might be saying that wrong, but it was a famous race for planes, plane racing. The competitors flew from Burbank to Cleveland nonstop, and the fastest time was the winner. She was not the first woman ever to fly the Bendix. Amelia Earhart actually flew it two years earlier, but the difference is Amelia got fifth place when she flew it in 1935. The second year Jackie flew it, which was 1938, she won. She was the fastest person. She beat the men in the race. Um, and that, that race was really not accepting to women. It was very hard for women to get in. So it was a big deal that a woman had beaten all the men in the race. And then she set a transcontinental speed record and broke barriers by setting new altitude records. So she flew higher than men had flown in a lot of places. So prior to the United States joining the war effort in World War II, Jackie didn't want to just sit on her butt. She was really upset about what was happening in Europe, and she knew she wanted to do something. So American companies were building aircrafts to supply the British military with planes. And so Jackie joined an organization with a bunch of other aviators that was called Wings for Britain, not to be confused with Wings to Beauty. And it was an organization for elite American pilots who flew newly constructed military aircrafts to Britain to support the war effort. And by participating in this organization, Jackie actually became the first woman to fly a bomber plane across the Atlantic Ocean because she had to get it to Britain. And um, that was just the beginning of Jackie's participation in the war effort. She got really devoted to it and she became really passionate about it. So while she was in Britain, she helped the Royal Air Force recruit qualified female pilots from the United States to participate in their air transport auxiliary. It was a group, an organization that ferried items. So they didn't drop bombs, they were non-combat, but they carried supplies. So they would carry supplies to the army or to the air force or like carry things from one place, point A to point B. And she basically helped them recruit American women because America was not yet involved in the war. And she was actually given the rank of flight captain in the British Air Transport Auxiliary, a rank that's actually equivalent to the position of major in the U.S. Air Force because she was so active in recruiting and training women while she was there. And in 1939, Jackie wrote a letter to the White House back in the U.S. and she addressed it to the First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt because she knew that a fellow woman would listen to her. She didn't think if she sent it to Mr. Roosevelt, it would get read. She knew Eleanor would read it because she had probably heard of her beauty products and she probably knew that she was this famous aviatrix. And so she sent it to Eleanor. And the Aviatrix letter- is one of my favorite words. I know, it's a good like, word. You like Pensacola? I'm like, aviatrix. An aviatrix born in Pensacola. <laughs> um, so she proposed starting an American version of this auxiliary, an American Army Air Force auxiliary of women who were non-combat pilots. And Jackie argued that women can complete all of the non-combat aviation jobs, thus freeing up more male pilots for direct combat as America became more involved in the war. So, you know, we're about to get in a war where a lot of guys are going to die, a lot of bomber planes are going to go down, and you might need women who are already trained pilots to come in and help you because it takes a long time to learn how to fly a plane. And there are all these women who are flying planes already. So this organization would be the American equivalent of that auxiliary in Britain. And at the time, the army, like not the Air Force Army, which at the time the army and the Air Force in America were one thing, but the Air Force was like under the army branch. So the army itself had started the WAC, which is the Women's Army Auxiliary Course Program, and it gave non-combat jobs to women so they could work in the Army Army, not the Air Force part of the Army. 
And Jackie felt it was possible to expand that to the people in the air. So from the land to the air, they could include the auxiliary for women. So despite the shortage of qualified men who were pilots, there was hesitation to Jackie's proposal from leaders in the US military. They were like, we can't have women flying planes. And so Lieutenant General Henry H. Arnold, whose nickname was Haps, which is the lamest nickname I've ever heard. <laughs> it's like, it's like um, in your yearbook, have a great summer, hags. Hags, hags. Um, so he asked Jackie to, to find out how many female pilots there were and to recruit and take American women to Britain and observed the auxiliary that was there and then used that information that her and those women could gain to possibly found their own American group. So he was like, I don't want to test this here, but if you keep bringing women over to America, uh, over to Britain, which she was already doing, if that goes well, maybe I'll let you approve doing that in America. So then in 1943, which was four years after she came up with this idea, the wasps were born. And I would just like to say that the wasps is the coolest name. And the fact that we don't have that name in our military anymore, especially for pilots, because wasps fly, um, <laughs> is really sad. So wasp stands for Women's Air Force Service Pilots. And this was a group um, where Jackie was the director and another female pilot named Lovelace was like the co-director. Um, she's also really famous and really popular. So if you're interested in female pilots, check her out. But basically in this role, Jackie supervised the training of hundreds of female pilots and they became part of World War II effort. They transported items. They never saw combats. They were not as dope as the Night Witches. And for her service during World War II, Jackie earned a Distinguished Service Medal, which at the time many women did not earn these types of honors. So it was a really big deal that she earned that award. And the wasps were disbanded after the war ended, and Jackie was hired as a magazine reporter. She just moved on with her life and went somewhere else, and the wasps were never to be seen again. And to be fair, now women can become pilots in the modern Air Force, but it is a little sad that we don't have anything called the wasps anymore. Are there any I, other, do. like, acronyms or names for Yes, it's other... the WAX, the WASPs, and the WAVES. The WAX are the Army, the WAVES are the Navy, and the WASPs are the Air Force during the Oh, WAVES and the Ocean? Oh, yes. If you don't know a lot about women's participation in World War II, I have recently become a nerd about it, mainly because the names are good. And the recruitment <laughs> posters are even better. Um, I would have probably signed up. Just from the propaganda. <laughs> from the propaganda, no, let's see. Um, so, yeah, so she became a magazine reporter. She traveled the world, and the purpose of her going around was to document, like, post-war life. Like, how were different parts of the world adjusting to post-war life? She was even at, like, the Nuremberg trials and stuff. Like, she was really involved in post-World War II breakdown. And she actually became the first non-Japanese woman to set foot on Japanese soil after the end of World War II. Which is like pretty crazy. Um, she just flew in there, landed, got off the plane. Um, in 1948, Jackie joined the Air Force Reserve. She was one of the first women to actually technically become a member of the Air Force by serving in the reserve because um, technically the wasps were an auxiliary and she remained a member until 1970. So majority of her life she was in the reserves in case there would ever be another war effort she needed to participate in. She wanted to be ready to go, ready for battle. And during this part of her flying career, she actually attained the rank of colonel, which is like a really high rank um, in military systems. So she was very well renowned and regarded. And Jackie was the first woman to break the sound barrier on May 18th, 1953. She flew 
652 miles per hour to break the sound barrier. They called her the supersonic lady in the news articles, which is pretty cool. That's the nickname. In the 1960s, Jackie wanted to go further than the sky. She wanted to go to space. And she became a financial sponsor of the Women's Mercury Program. There'd been a Men's Mercury Program, which had basically been a program to test people to see if they would make good astronauts. And so the doctor that did that was like, women would be really good in space. Why don't I test them? So the Mercury Program was intended to train women to become astronauts. And the belief was that women would make great astronauts because they were on average smaller. So they were less weight and less height. And they usually consumed less water, food, and oxygen than men, apparently. I didn't know that. I thought, I, I think I eat a lot. But you know what? Now that I think about it, maybe my brother eats more than me. So I guess it's good. <laughs> That's the same logic that they're using. Like they're talking about the first manned, like manned mission to Mars is possibly going to be all women because they take up less space and don't yeah. consume as much. because we're tiny. There's a little, there are a little, little people, but not really. It's true. Just, I mean, on average, we are shorter. So um, that's why. I love and it. So Jackie was really frustrated because the, the male doctor who was doing the testing for Mercury, of course, it was a male doctor, he had really strict age requirements. He wanted the women to be like in their 20s, very young, very fit. And he would not allow married women or single mothers to participate. So if you were married or had children, you could not participate this program and Jackie was married and 50 and so she was a little teed off because the whole reason that her and her husband were drowning money into this is because she was going to become the first woman in space yes she was in her 50s she was married she technically did not qualify but she convinced the doctor to let her participate in the test along with the 19 other women so they chose 20 people total including Jackie and the tests were really intense they had icy water shot at their face to induce vertigo They were put in deprivation tanks to disturb their sensory functions and see what would happen when they were, like, deprived of all their senses. Are those, like, the salt pods? Because I've done the salt pods. I don't know. They, like, put you in a thing and they close the lid and you can't... Yeah, 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 yeah. So I've kind of done that where it's, like... I've done, like, one where it's as salty as, like, the Dead Sea, so you float and you're in, like, the pod and it's completely dark and you just, like, float there the only light is like the one green light so you know like where the button is if you're like in sos mode but it's like supposed to release like toxins like because your body's kind of just letting itself go in a sense i felt like high or like lighter it felt really weird afterwards it was not like it's not an experience i want to do again yeah i mean these women did not like it and jackie did not pass the test 13 pilots did pass so They had 20 female pilots to start, 13 passed, seven were not selected, Jackie being one. Ooh, how pissed was she? There are, are like, (laughs) there is evidence to suggest that she, like, screamed and flipped out. There are, like, firsthand accounts from other female pilots who were there that, like, she was, like, cursing out the doctor. (laughs) Um, But he told her she had underlying heart conditions that she didn't know she had and that she should probably stop flying altogether, which is, like, you don't tell someone that when that's their life, you know? So they called these pilots the Mercury 13, um, and they were going to stop being pilots and become astronauts. So most of these women, they quit their jobs. They told their families, I'm heading out. They were going to move to Florida, where the training base for astronauts was at the time. And this, at this point, NASA was not yet, it was like not yet completely in charge. The Air Force was actually doing most of the astronaut training, and then later it would go under NASA. Does that make sense? 
So the yeah. Air Force was highly involved in this. Um, so these women were going to go to where the Air Force was training astronauts a week before they were supposed to leave. The program was canceled, and the women were told oh. not to report for training. And the 13 women never made it to space. There are cute little pictures of them as old ladies from like 20 years ago where they're like, we almost went to space. Oh, <laughs> and it's so sad because these women were supposed to be the first women in space. So Jackie spent the rest of her life advocating her belief that women were fit for space and that women made sense as astronauts. Unfortunately, Jackie passed away in August 1980, which is a little less than three years before Sally Ride was sent to space. So she never saw a woman go to space, even though that was like her life, life dream. She just seems really cool. I like her. That was a good story. You can find this podcast on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at LadyHistoryPod. Our show notes and a transcript of this episode and our merch will be on LadyHistoryPod.com. If you like the show, leave us a review or follow us on Patreon. And if you don't like the show, keep it to yourself. Our logo is by Alexia Ibarra. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram at LexiBDraws. Our theme music is by me, GarageBand, and Amelia Earhart. And Lexi is doing the editing. You will not see us, and we will not see you, but you will hear us next time on Lady History. Next week on Lady History, we're having our own version of Shark Week with ladies who've done some things in marine biology.